the tallest animal on earth that can reach speeds of up to 60 kilometres per hour. At a gallop, hard to believe, considering the size of the animal. Anyway, regular listeners to Mooney Goes Wild will remember our documentary about Zarafa the giraffe, which was broadcast last December. Zarafa was a diplomatic gift from Muhammad Ali of Egypt to King Charles X of France in 1824. Once they decided to send this diplomatic gift, they had to find a giraffe. Not as easy as it sounds. They sent Arab hunters down to Ethiopia, just near the border of Sudan at the time. And those hunters eventually found a female giraffe which had two calves. They disposed of the female giraffe and they took the two calves. Each of them had their legs tied together and they were put on the back of camels and transported down to Khartoum. After that, they were sent down the river, then up the Nile, about 2,000 miles all the way up to Alexandria on the Mediterranean coast. And they were being transported at the time on barges. It must have been an extraordinary experience for the giraffe, as you can imagine. They eventually got to Alexandria. Then they thought, how do we get it from here over to France? Of course, they would have to cross the Mediterranean. And by this stage, the giraffe had got too big to just put on a barge. So they had to put it in a sailing ship and they would get the giraffe to stand in the hold of the ship and then they cut a hole in the deck of the ship so that the giraffe's head and neck could just appear above it. There'd be space for it to have a look around. You can imagine the sensation that that sort of arrangement would have caused amongst any of the spectators. The trip took four weeks, which would give you a pretty good idea that it was a difficult trip and a fair amount of hardship was involved in that trip. They eventually arrived in Marseille and at the time they did, Zarafa, the giraffe, became the first giraffe to be seen in Europe for 300 years. It's an incredible story and you can listen back to the entire documentary by visiting our website rte.ie forward slash Mooney, well, there was huge interest in the US media recently when a rare spotless giraffe calf was born. Finally tonight, something that hasn't been spotted in more than a half a century, a spotless giraffe born July 31st at the Bright Zoo in the town of Limestone, Tennessee. Officials say she is believed to be the only solid-colored giraffe on the planet. The last recorded spotless giraffe was in Tokyo in 1972. Zoo officials are asking for the public's health in naming their new superstar. To tell us more about spotless and spotted giraffes, we're joined now from Photo Wildlife Park by Declan O'Donovan, the animal care manager at Photo. Hello, Declan, how are you? Very good, thanks, um, Derek, and uh, hi to all the team there. So talk to me, first of all, about the giraffes you have there at Photo Wildlife Park. Yeah, the um, giraffe we have are the Rothschild's giraffe is what they were originally known as. Now, there is some questions over the the species levels, which we could discuss at a later stage if you want. But um, we have at the moment 10 giraffes. There's two males and eight females. The last um, young female was born on the 30th of April this year. Fantastic news. And has she got a name and how is she doing? 
Well, she's doing very well. She hasn't been. We have all, like a, a an in-house name at the moment for her, which is Siobhan. But there will be a naming competition at some stage, I would imagine. So it's not an official name as of yet for her. Now, you say you've got the Rothschild giraffe there. That's correct, yeah. Am I correct in saying there are four different species of giraffe on the planet? It depends on who you talk to. Um, the, I'm the, to most, you. <laughs> yeah, the most recent research that's been done by the Giraffe Conservation Fund suggests, and they've done a lot of genetic analysis of it, that there is actually four four species with seven different subspecies. If you look at the International Union for Conservation of Nature, the IUCN, who sort of list them as endangered, critically endangered, etc., etc., then they recognise currently only one species with nine subspecies. Now, probably the most relevant and the most accurate one would be what the Giraffe Conservation Fund have done because they have looked at the actual genetics of it. Now, they found that the um, Nubian giraffe and the Rothschild giraffe are actually genetically identical. So what they've done is they've suggested that the Nubian and the Rothschilds be put into the northern giraffe group. Now, when I look at a giraffe, Declan, and you'll have to Mm -hmm. excuse my ignorance, Mm -hmm. all I see is a giraffe. It's like nothing else on planet Earth. It's the tallest land mammal and it's covered with spots to all intents and purposes and those spots must mean something do they absolutely the coloration of the animals if you look at there's another species called a reticulated giraffe and they have very very clearly defined patterns with bold white lines between them um some of the other species of giraffe have a different uh, sort of blotches and uh, melding of colours going into them. So e- even within the wildlife park, our, our rangers here will be able to identify each individual giraffe by the coat coloration. And what they look for is little differences in the shoulder patterns or in the neck patterns and that. So they, they all have, just like you and I, we all have our own individual sort of little markers and traits which we can use to identify them. In the wild, it's also um, used as a form of camouflage and that. So it is, it is very important for them when they're, especially when they're young, because some, some recent research suggested that up to 50% of, of calves in one particular area are taken by predators, mainly lions, um, before the, the uh, age of one year old. So camouflage and colouring is very important for species, for all species and uh, for the young giraffe in particular. So, Declan, having a patterned coat is important. Now, that report by CBS News said that the baby giraffe born in Tennessee was the only one of its kind. Well, guess what? Extraordinary news. Another baby giraffe has since been born in Namibia. I'm Annette Ulofse, together with my son Alex and his wife Karula, the owner of Mount Echu Safari Lodge. Um, Mount Echu Safari Lodge is situated in a game sanctuary which was uh, founded by my late husband, Jan Olofse, in 1975. There was no game sanctuary around here. It was all cattle land. And over approximately 45 years now, we have established a game sanctuary for about 40 different species. The species we have are all kinds of antelope, lions, elephant, and we do a lot of conservation for lots of rare species that occur in Africa. The giraffe today in our game sanctuary are almost 1,200. And ever so often, 
a sort of a darkish giraffe is born. Some have a little bit of a patch on one side that is not spotted. And just lately, this little spotless giraffe was born. It's beautiful, got a sort of a copper color, just absolutely adorable. And we are all excited about it. It is probably just a, a color variant that happens ever so often. But it is an exciting news because this doesn't happen too often. So Declan, what do you think is going on here? Um, there could be a number of things. Um, there are a lot of people have said that perhaps the American giraffe, it could be a genetic, you know, from inbreeding and things like that. But if you if you look at the way stripes and spots are actually um, formed, they're usually, it's derived from a protein called a morphogen. Now, the morphogen is usually released when the embryo is developing in the womb and that. And the skin contains pigment cells and a morphogen which causes the spots will diffuse out, giving different colors from, say, yellow, yellow to reddish color or black or slightly, you know, sort of grayish colors. And these these form the spots and the colors of most species from butterflies up through to tigers and lions and um, obviously the giraffe as well. So it could be an issue with the expression of that, that the gene for the morphogen, which didn't basically produce enough pigments in the skin. It could also be um, an inbreeding uh, issue as well, which could cause this. And it has been seen in other species when they have been uh, bred together far too long, that a lot of the coloration sort of disappears from the coat of the of them. And you see it in species from Arabian oryx through to other, other herbivores, large, large grazers, that they do lose a lot of the color when they start inbreeding. And that's more likely to happen in captive situations. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. More, more, more likely. But then when you look at the um, fragmentation of the giraffe population across Africa, then you are getting to similar situations where you've got small, small little pockets of giraffe. And when you think of gestation of 14, 15 months, then it is, you know, if you lose an, an adult animal, then it takes a long time for another one to come up and breed and maybe you lose that one. So your population is declining and the actual availability of unrelated animals is reduced as well. So there is the possibility that this could manifest and it could get, get worse as, as um, time progresses. Declan Aina here. I'm just remembering the first time I saw giraffes in the wild. It was in Tanzania. I was out there with Michael O'Barra in 1990 and we were starting off in his jeep on our safari and off we went and of course we were hopping out of the windows of the jeeps trying to see anything. Saying, there's nothing there, nothing there. And then Michael says, there's the giraffes. And we said, what giraffes? Michael said, there's six big 17 foot giraffes over there can you not see them and we couldn't see anything and there we were bursting to see something because they were there and we did see them but the camouflage was perfect it was like the army jackets where there's all spots and things and eventually one of them moved or something and then suddenly we got our eye in and we could see them Michael was saying how can you not see a big 17 foot something and we couldn't understand why we couldn't see it so it's absolutely crucial it would seem that they have these markings so surely in the wild if one is born with 
without markings, then it is survival of the fittest. They're not going to be um, hidden away with their camouflage. So such an actual mutation or such an actual situation in the wild would not persist because the cryptic colouring of all of those spots is essential for keeping them hidden and more so, I would imagine, with, with younger ones who are vulnerable to attacks from lions. So it, it, it would seem that it's only a problem of, as you say, a very restricted breeding population in a park or in a zoo that it makes this happen. But if we're not going to have enough of them, if they're going to get islands of different ones, like you're saying, there's so few of them now, that, that this actually could be a problem and lead to a demise very quickly if having no colour means they're much more exposed to, to being hunted. Yes, I, I, I agree 100% to, uh, with you. We've, we've had this report now from Namibia, but who's to say that there hasn't been others and, you know, in, in other smaller populations now, but we haven't seen them because, as you said, the, the loss of the cryptic coloration meant that they've been predated by um, other large carnivores. You know, before before actually somebody could take a photograph, we were lucky that they did get a photograph of the, the spotless giraffe in Namibia, but because they can't camouflage, then they are very, very prone to predation and, uh, you know, maybe even abandonment by the by the parents, by the mother. Mind you, the mother is no dozy person to be worrying about. I mean, they can very much kick off a lion or see off the predators that are coming in. And it's amazing. I mean, I'd be very sorry for the giraffes. The giraffe only sleeps for five minutes at a time. I mean, talk about having a baby that cries all night. But the five minutes at a time, a total of only 30 minutes over a 24-hour period. Five minutes? Are you sure, Aina? Well, this is what it says here. So I presume this is what it would... would a lie be written down and handed out in front Standing of me. Standing up or lying down? Well, I don't think they lie down. I never well, tell. No, they Declan can tell us. That's what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. I was getting up to the question. I was coming to the boil. You didn't have to interrupt. Now, Declan, is this true? Do giraffes only sleep for five minutes at a time or are the ones below in photo delighted with themselves tucked up in blankets? Do they lie down? Do they stand up? Do they lie on their backs? Give us more. How do they sleep and for how long? We have actually done some research on this and using um, cameras at night time and infrared, we have actually seen them lying down and they, they lie for maybe 10, 20 minutes or so. They'll get back up and they'll, they'll stand and they take they take it in turns. So it looks it looks as if there is a sort of a protection there that they not not all the animals will lie down together. So some of them will stay up, some of them will, will go down. So in the wild, something similar would possibly be in effect as well. Now, you have to remember how long it takes a giraffe to actually get get back up with those long gangly legs so it has to be super vigilant of whoever is watching over them so I would suspect again with smaller populations it's probably less likely that they would actually uh, lie down for any great length of time or in any great numbers but they do they do tend to you can see them just with their heads sort of slightly drooped and they will stay in that position for quite some time they'll wake up they'll start ruminating chewing the cud again and then they'll they'll go off and they'll they'll walk around and they'll stop so yeah they're, they're active for quite quite a large proportion of their time and it is something that we have looked at because in captivity it's not you know when we when we go away in the evenings we're not really 100% sure what they're doing at at nighttime, so it's very important for us as as um, biologists and and uh, rangers and that that we know and we can provide enough enrichment for the animals at nighttime that they will be they will be kept uh, kept going and they won't just be be bored and you know engaging in stereotypy. So the research into this is is very important for us. 
Yeah, I mean, if they're to protect their young against the lions, they would have to be alert at night because the lions are, are prowling around. The, the, the female lions in particular, the brides, are out. And when we were continuing on that safari, at the dawn we would be going out again to see the kill. But the kill had always happened at night and you'd have the lionesses coming to eat they killed and then the, the male who didn't do any work at all waited till the missus killed the thing came over to feast and then the females and then there was a whole a whole um, order of animals coming to feed on the carcass so I'd say they're a fairly formidable target if they get any notice at all that there are lion on the prowl Yes, they, they definitely and the the um, sort of defence mechanism that giraffe has uh, unlike a lot of other other large um, large animals is they can kick in any direction so they can kick forward backward sideways so you know again if if you have something uh, a predator approaching you then they have to be super super careful because uh, you know a kick from a large animal like that could could end up damaging the um, the lion or whatever is a leopard or whatever might be attacking it and that then will affect their ability to hunt and that so I think the reports that, that I, I mentioned earlier was usually on young young giraffe calves and that so if you've got a pride of lions and the giraffe calf is, is caught by one the rest can you know sort of uh, chase off the, the the female and the the calf then is and they're small calves it's up to about a year old after that they seem to be fine they're big enough to be able to survive surviving themselves and giraffe and the calves themselves can actually run faster than the than the adults at times. Declan, I don't wish to appear too insensitive, but how do you prevent inbreeding from occurring among your giraffe population at Fota and indeed other animals there? Um, well, all, all of our animals and that of the animals that we keep throughout the zoo, not only giraffe, we, we know the history of them. So all our giraffe, we know from back in the 1984 when we opened first, we know where they came from. We know where they've gone to and we know how many have been born born here from from Photo Wildlife Park. So there's one coordinator within the European Association of Zoos and Aquaria who will look at all the animals across Europe. They will then make the recommendations as to which males, which females and that are best to breed to maintain the genetic diversity of the group. So in situations like we were discussing earlier where you've got these small populations in Africa and that and the possibility of inbreeding there, we try to avoid that by making sure that instead of just one individual uh, zoo looking after and trying, look, can you swap this with me? Can you swap that with me? It's a coordinated plan. So all the zoos in Europe get together and they decide, right, that the giraffes that we have are important with, with an animal in, say, in the UK. And we will, we will send our animal over there. They will then send an animal to somewhere else to maintain this genetic diversity in that. And We've in fact sent back in, I think it was 1990, we sent two giraffe for that reason to Perth Zoo in Western Australia. A number of, of our animals have gone to um, France. There's been some, um, quite a few of them gone to, to the UK and Northern Ireland and Dublin Zoo and that. The male that we have at the moment, Ferdy, he came in, he was born originally in Holland. And he came to us at three years old. So he's now our breeding male. So within the, the whole, all the populations of animals that we have within the zoos, they're all managed intensively to make sure that we do maintain the genetic diversity. Well, I have to say it's fascinating stuff. Declan, thank you very much indeed. You're more than welcome. Thank you very much, Derek, and Richard and Ana. Thank you very much for your time. And we should say that Photo Wildlife Park is open to the public if they'd like to go down and have a close up with a giraffe. It certainly is. And they can come and see our uh, young female, four months old at the moment. Ah, 
Ah, she's only a baby. Anyway, a trip out of Fota Wildlife Park is always worth it. Thank you again, Declan.